Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, hey, we want to welcome everybody that is joining us from everywhere. Want to say a special hello to all the people that are joining us online. Want to shout out all the guys over at TCI. We're so excited that you're here with us. And I want to give a special shout out to my family over at BC Boardman. I miss you guys today, but I hear you have a special guest with you, and I'm sure you're getting by just fine. And of course, I'm so excited to be here at BC Warren. I'll tell you what, BC Warren, can we make some noise for everybody that's joining us from all over the place? We're just excited that you're here. If you're new here, my name is Joe, and I get to serve as the campus pastor at BC Boardman. And today, we're going to kick off a brand new series of messages called Don't Drink the Kool-Aid. Don't Drink the Kool-Aid. Now, if you are Gen Z or younger, you have no clue what this phrase means. Everyone else remembers Jim Jones and Jonestown. If you don't know it, Google it later. Not why I'm here. But This is what the phrase really is all about when it's mentioned in our culture. It kind of means blindly following or accepting ideas or beliefs. It's blindly accepting some kind of a system of ideas or beliefs. I'm sure some of you, when you were invited to BC, you had a friend that said, hey, just don't drink the Kool-Aid, right? Like, this is a thing people say. Now, here's why we're doing this series. It's because we think that there is a cultural Kool-Aid that is at times forced on us. And in our world, we blindly accept or blindly follow different ideas. And so we want to take a look and maybe even debunk some of these ideas. So we're gonna talk about things like science. We wanna talk about uh, morality, uh, the meaning of life. I I think it's gonna be a really helpful series for people that are brand new to the concept of church. I also think it's gonna really deepen the faith of people that have been following Jesus for a really long time. Uh, Pastor Joe and and Pastor Ryan, our next-gen pastor, they're gonna be jumping in later in the series. It's gonna go five weeks, and we're gonna tackle tough questions like, hey, why can we trust this book that is thousands of years old? Why does that have any validity in my life? Why should I base my life off of that? Uh, why, Why is the Bible always at odds with science? Is there a reason for that? Is it a valid point? All kinds of really great stuff. And uh, in order to kind of set the scene for today and the idea from our culture that I want to address, let me set the scene for you, all right? So just imagine that you're having a beautiful sunny day here in northeastern Ohio. Those come all the time, right? And you're just enjoying yourself and everything is right with the world. And, and you say, I'm gonna scroll through my feed and just see what's going on with my friends. And so you start to scroll through your feed and then you see that post. You know what I mean? It's like one of your best friends and they are going for it today. Something got under their skin and they are sharing a hot take on a really hot topic. And you're like, man, this is gonna be good. You know what I'm saying? You can just tell. Then you look below and you're like, this got posted an hour ago and there's like a hundred comments already. And you're like, click, you know, God, I'm in. And so you start to scroll and you're like, man, this is getting pretty intense. Like it starts with an opinion from your one friend. And then this other person that is a friend of yours that you didn't even know knew this friend shows up and they're arguing with each other. And then there's people that are really close friends and they're arguing with each other and insert the Michael Jackson popcorn gif. Like you're like, hey, don't mind me. I'm just here for the comments, you know, like. You ever just, you're like an hour later, you're, you're like 500 comments in, you just keep clicking, re, re, what is it, reveal more, you know, and you're in. And so then it kind of escalates, you know, and it goes from like a friendly back and forth to like fighting words. And, 
and then they start giving each other ultimatums. I know none of you have ever done this, but you know, we see this online at times. Like anyone that believes that can just unfriend me, you know? And then they'll say, I'll do you one better, block. You know, like this is the kind of stuff that happens. And it's sad because relationships that have history, I mean, they've known each other for decades. Those relationships are history in a matter of minutes, all because they don't know how to navigate a disagreement. And so here's, here's the cultural Kool-Aid that I wanna address today. This is what our culture tells us. We disagree, so we have to disconnect. This is the idea. We disagree, so we have to disconnect. And here's the real challenge. We have a challenge on two fronts. How do I, as a Christian that loves God with all of my heart, how do I hold true to my convictions and still reach the world around me? And how about this? How do I navigate disagreements, more importantly, with people that are my close friends that are in the church? I think this year has been a tough year for things like that because there are so many polarizing issues and all of us find ourselves on different ends of the equation, different sides of the aisle, and they're important things. So how do we navigate that? And that's what I wanna talk about today. Culture says we disagree, so we disconnect. I wanna see what does God have to say about this subject? So it's interesting to me, when you look at the early church, it wasn't that they had no disagreements. They are highly documented all over the place. But one thing that you would notice is the early church was built on this sense of unity. There was unity everywhere you looked and they would fight for it. So let me give you a scripture that paints the picture of what we're looking for. It's 1 Corinthians 1.10. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you but that you be united and that you would have the same mind in the same judgment. There's another scripture that's similar, says the same thing in a different way. It's Romans 15, five. And it says, may the God of endurance, how many of y'all know if you've been friends with somebody for a while, you need a little bit of endurance in that relationship, right? May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice Glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love that. Those are musical terms, right? We just got to experience this at each campus. I know at BC Boardman, just like here in Warren, there was beautiful worship. There's nothing quite like a lot of different voices that have different tones and different timbers coming together on, on pitch, hopefully, <laughs> and singing in harmony with each other. It's a beautiful thing. Now, that's the, one of the most beautiful things you can experience. Can we all agree on the other side? One of the worst things that you can hear is voices that clash, voices that are dissonant, voices that do not complement each other. They're in disharmony with each other. And uh, I wanted to show you an example that I think you'll never forget. So let's take a look at this video real quick.
I think we ought to give it up for that keyboard player that, uh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm a church kid. When you grow up in church, you see a lot, and that hits a little too close to home, you know? What I wonder is, was that the keyboard player's fault? Like, I wonder, did he have his keyboard on transpose or something and not tell anybody? But um, here, here's why I show you that. Um, I just don't want you to ever forget what it looks like and sounds like to the world around you when you're not in harmony with other people. It's just not a great sound. It's not a great look. This is why 1 Corinthians 13 says, hey, you could speak in the tongue of men and of angels, and you can have all the greatest gifts in the world. You can do all these amazing things for the kingdom of God, but if you don't have love, you just sound like a clanging symbol to everyone around you. We gotta fight for unity. United, the word united becomes untied when the I gets out of place. And it's interesting because I think sometimes when we hear messages like this, we kind of hear it for other people and we're sitting in our room. We're like, hey, did you catch that? And what I would challenge us to do this morning, I'm doing it even as I preach these words, is to just examine my own heart and say, God, is there anything in me that is causing someone to not be in unity or in harmony with God's church? It's such a beautiful thing to examine our hearts and to ask that. And can I just give you a no-brainer? The devil wants you to disagree. He wants you to be disconnected with other people. He knows that Jesus said it himself. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't even prevail against it. But he knows a house divided against itself cannot stand. So he would love for us to get caught up and divided and disconnect over our disagreement. So here's what I wanna do today. I wanna get pretty practical and I wanna talk about how do we navigate disagreements with two groups of people? Here's the first one. How do I disagree with people who are unsaved, like people that are outside of God's church. And this really is a tension, it's a challenge, right? Because I don't know about you, but I want to share the truth with people that need to hear it. As a Christian, I believe the truth is what sets you free. But I've, I've recognized that in my own life, there are some roadblocks in helping people to meet Jesus. And one of them is trying to fix people before they become a follower of Jesus. If you want the secret to reaching people and speaking their language, here's, here it is. Relationship earns me the right to speak into people's lives. Relationship earns me the right to speak into people's lives. Let me give you a great example. This is a case in point. When have you ever, in the history of ever, changed your mind on an important topic because some random person jumped into your comments and told you you were wrong? Probably never in the history of ever, right? Why? Because relationship earns me the right to speak into people's lives. And a lot of times I think Christians with great intentions want to try to help the people around them, but we're working from an entirely different framework. And so it's difficult to tell someone you need to change your behavior before they've ever met the Savior. And so we're trying to tell them, modify your behavior, look more like Jesus before they've met Jesus, and it just doesn't work. Let me ask you this, would you ever be upset with a blind person for bumping into you? I would hope not, right? It's just kind of a silly concept, why? Because a blind person can't help it, they can't see. And I wonder how often the people that Jesus actually tells us are spiritually blind, we're expecting them to live like somebody that can see, and we're upset with them because they're bumping into us and doing things that spiritually blind people will do. A great example of this is Lil Nas X, and I'm sure everybody in this service is super familiar with him. Um, it's on all of your playlists, I bet. But uh, he, he recently 
he, he came out with this shoe. It was like a collab, and he took a Nike shoe. This was not Nike's endorsed idea, but he made what he called Satan shoes, and they are exactly what you would think they are. Uh, he's got a drop of human blood in the sole of the shoe. He's got a kind of a sacrilegious use of the Bible on there. They're black. They're red. They're just like everything you would expect, and he released 666 pairs, and so naturally, as a parent who is trying to raise my kids in a generation that's really kind of godless, there's that side of me that's kind of outraged, that side of me that's like, man, I got to protect my kids from the culture around us. But then there's this other side to me that says, man, I want to be careful how I speak to and about Lil Nas X, because he is just a spiritually blind person doing what spiritually blind people do. And really what I think would change him more than anything is to see the love of Jesus and hear the love of Jesus and then let that lead him to a change in his heart. Have you ever heard it said this way? Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. This is why I have so much compassion on substitute teachers because they have zero relationship with anybody in the class and then they've got to show up and somehow ask them to follow the rules and it never works out really well. We should all pray for them today at the end of the service, right? Here's the reality. As the church, we are not called, we're not called to legislate the way the world lives. We're not called to hold the world accountable. Now, in some cases, we are called to hold the church accountable. We'll talk about that today. But our mission can't be to be the morality police. Because if we diminish Christianity to just trying to modify people's behavior instead of introduce them to a real savior, it's probably not gonna work. But here's the cool part. I just wanna issue a warning. If you're watching today, maybe you're here in the room and you're like, man, I'm not even sure, Joe, if I believe there is a God. I'm not even sure if I subscribe to your ideology. That's okay. We just want you to know you can belong here before you believe like us. But just a fair warning, if you get here long enough and you experience God in his presence in worship and you see him begin to change your heart, you might start changing your behavior because you're gonna meet a savior eventually. And I watch this happen over and over again. This is why you're gonna see us focus very little on your outward behaviors. We're not gonna tell you clean up and then you can come to Jesus. We're just gonna say, come to Jesus. And then we kind of think that you're gonna get cleaned up in the process. This is what Romans 12, 18 says. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with who? With everyone. What's everyone mean? Everyone, you know, like even people that are far from God, even people that don't see the way we see. All right, here's, here's the big one. This is the one I wanna spend a little bit more time on today. So that's how you navigate disagreements with people that don't believe. But how about this one? How do we navigate a disagreement with someone who's saved? Like people in the church. And so often I think we come to church with these expectations that we're never gonna be let down, we're never gonna disagree because after all, this is church, we're here for Jesus, right? but this is where people experience more pain and more hurt and more brokenness than anywhere on the planet. So how do, we, how do we deal with that? Well, the Bible has a ton to say about Christians and how they walk through disagreements. So I'm gonna try to give you systematically some different ways that you can walk through disagreement. I hope this helps you in your everyday life. And I wanna say this first, there are moments when it's necessary to disconnect from people who identify as Jesus followers. It's not often, but there are moments when it's necessary. Let me give you a great example. This is Romans 16, 17. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. 
So for sure, there are some moments in the Bible where they say, hey, if somebody's divisive and all they're looking to do is divide God's church, in particular, when they're trying to say, this is the way to do it and it's contradicting the word of God, that's a good moment to say, all right, we're probably gonna part ways. How about this, Titus 3.10? You'll see, you'll see a pattern emerging here. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. 1 Corinthians 5.1.2, it talks about somebody who is dealing with a sin problem and they're unrepentant. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? So this is an important point to make. This is somebody that is sleeping with his mother-in-law and they are not repentant. As a matter of fact, they're showing up to church every weekend and they're kind of just rubbing it in everybody's face. People have confronted them and they do not want to change. And this is what they tell them to do. Let him who has done this be removed from among you. So for all the justice people here, I just wanna let you rest assured there are moments where if people do not have a repentant heart or if they're trying to divide God's church and there's no unity present, there are some moments where that happens. They are few and far between, but they come. All right, now I wanna make this point though. All that being said, there are way more scriptures in the Bible that encourage us and challenge us to fight for unity, to fight for those relationships, to navigate disagreement and say, I'm not gonna disconnect just because we disagree. Here's a great example, Ephesians 4.1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Verse two, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with another, with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. I like that it says maintain because you're gonna put a lot of miles on relationships that are gonna go the long haul and you would never put a bunch of miles on your car and not expect to have to do some maintenance. So I just think it's healthy for us to have this expectation that when I have a relationship that goes any longer than five minutes, it's not if they let me down, it's when they let me down. And being prepared to walk through that and going through a regular maintenance of communicating with them and trying to navigate disagreement. So you see a theme even in the early church, there's an awareness of how the outside world sees them. This is really good. I know a lot of Christians that they've never heard this, so I'm just gonna throw it in here. 1 Corinthians 6.1. When one of you has a dispute with another believer, how dare you file a lawsuit and ask a secular court to decide the matter instead of taking it to other believers? That's interesting. All the way back then, we live in such a litigious, sue-happy culture, but it was going on even back then in God's church. And I'm not saying there are never opportunities or moments where you have to uh, go to the law. There are for sure moments that would require that. We're not gonna get into that. But I think even more often what can happen in our culture today is we can try to take people down and, and defame them in the court of public opinion, right? And when we disagree with them, we'll just take it online. We'll just post a hot take on our social media account and call it good. And what they're trying to say here is that the world is watching and we're supposed to look different. Remember, the world will know us by our love, not for the world, our love for one another. And when people from the outside of the church look inside the church and all they see is we can't get along and then we gotta settle it in public, it's not a good look for the kingdom of God. So that's an important thing to keep in mind. All right, so here's the big question. So Joe, what do I do when somebody wrongs me? What do I do when I disagree? 
especially in the case of when I feel like they've sinned against me. Because I think a lot of us have pretty thick skin and we understand people are people. There's no perfect people allowed at Believer's Church, right? But what do we do when, when we are legitimately facing a challenge? How, how do we respond? And I love Matthew chapter 18. This is a great one. If you've never heard this, this will be really helpful. Now, real quick, time out. I just want you to think of the person right now that is the most challenging to you. Maybe they're at your last church, right? And we call this church hurt because there's kind of like this epidemic of people that are not rooted or planted in a church, and it's because they have been hurt at a church. The reason so many people don't go to church is because they've been to one. And so I can't tell you how many people within the first few minutes of our conversation when they come to BC, I find out why they left the last church and I see them here and I try to just let them, let them down easy and just prepare them, hey, that same problem will be waiting for you here with a different face and a different name because this is how it works. But how do we navigate that? Matthew 18, 15, if your brother or sister, this is the Greek word adelphos, which means a fellow disciple, brother or sister in the Lord, if they sin against you, step one, is to go and point out their fault. And I underline this just so we don't miss it. Just between the two of us. Just between the two of us. So we don't go on Facebook Live. We don't go, we don't go on Instagram and, and tell everybody what's going on. We, we do it between the two of us. And if they listen to you, you've won them over. And I've had many moments like that, just people that I really cared about. And it was kind of awkward and difficult, but we had to get through that awkward to move forward. And on the other side of that disagreement in the communication, we actually deepened our relationship and it was worth fighting for. Now listen to this. If they listen to you, you've won them over, verse 16. But if they will not listen, step two, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So we're kind of inviting more people into the circle because sometimes it's helpful to do that. Verse 17, and if they still refuse to listen, step three, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, this is the last resort, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So simply what they mean here is don't have fellowship with them. You might be an acquaintance with them. You might see them at the grocery store and be kind to them, but they're not in your inner circle anymore. They're not connected in, in a community with you the way that they were before. This is important to talk about because here's the tragedy. I've been in the same church my entire life. I've been doing ministry for 15 plus years. And I witness a lot of relationships that are, that are deeply rooted with history, I witnessed them break up before they ever even try to get to step one. And I think it breaks the heart of God. I think it is the exact opposite of what the church ought to look like. We gotta fight for unity. So I want you to think about who's that person. And on the count of three, I want you to say their name out loud. No, that's a joke. That's a joke. Don't do that. Don't do that. But God's probably gonna start revealing to you some people. The Bible actually tells it this way. I have somebody that serves on one of our teams and and they told me I couldn't receive communion this morning because I have a relationship that's not right. And the Bible commands us, don't even take communion. Leave your communion there and go make it right with someone before you come back to it. And I was so blown away by that. And I watched them do that literally at the service that day. That is modeling a heart of humility that says, you know what? I'm even willing to humble myself and to admit where I missed it and to ask them for forgiveness. And God works with that in a beautiful way. Now, sometimes, let's just talk about a different category. Sometimes, sadly, I see people dividing over who they follow, even in the church. Oh, well, I follow this pastor, and this pastor says this pastor's no good. This pastor says this pastor's a heretic. 
we all know the conversations and we get kind of tribal about who we follow and we take great pride in that. And this is not a new thing. This was something that the apostle Paul had to address in 1 Corinthians 1.10. So remember, we just read, make sure there's no divisions among you. Make sure you're united and of the same mind and same judgment. And then in verse 11 of that same exact passage, he says, my brothers and sisters, some of Uh, Some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, and another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. And then Paul brings it all home. Listen to what he says. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now, let me modernize this for you, all right? This, This just... Full disclosure, this is not in the Bible. This is the New International Joe version, okay? So I'm gonna read this to you. One of you says, I follow John Piper. In another, I follow Stephen Furtick. In another, I follow Francis Chan. And still another, I follow Christ. And is Christ divided? Was John MacArthur crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Michael Todd? For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. What's Paul saying here? Hey, we're probably not gonna agree on everything, but I think we can all agree on Jesus. He's the reason that we're all here anyway. And there are gonna be a lot of moments where we're tempted to deify people that are leading us in the church. And here's the only issue with that. If we're deifying them in the moments when they're doing good, that means we might demonize them in the moments when they're doing bad and in the moments when they're fallible and they're human and they make mistakes. I mean, that happens all the time. All right, so here's the real question. I think all of us are kind of asking, but like, all right, Joe, let's get to the good stuff because there are definitely moments in my life where we have disagreements with people I really love over things that I would go to bat for. Like, these are important issues to me. I don't even have to say them, but 2020 was stacked full of them, wasn't it? So, So here's a great passage. I just want you to know you're in good company because the early church, they had to deal with this. Romans 14, one, the heading in the Bible says, do not pass judgment on one another. And it was about food and feasts. Remember, they had Jews that had gotten saved. They decided to identify with Jesus. And some of them wanted to hold on to their feasts and their traditions. And some of them uh, were joining with Gentiles that had no clue or respect or awareness of feasts and traditions. And they're all under one roof. A lot of different opinions, a lot of different people. And this is what Paul is addressing. Now, I might modernize this one just a little bit, okay? This is Romans 14.1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions, because one person believes he may eat at cockeye barbecue in Barry Dingles, while the weak person is a vegan. How do you know somebody's a vegan? They'll tell you. <laughs> My wife's a vegan, I can say it. Okay, <laughs> just messing. Verse three, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. He goes on to say, one person esteems one day as better than another while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, listen, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. And since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in what? In honor of the Lord. This is crazy because it's almost like what he's saying is we can disagree with each other and we can still honor each other and honor the Lord. Who would have thought? 
What a novel idea in the year 2021. But it's important to remember this. So I think that's a great segue to the final thing I wanna talk about today. And it's cancel culture. Cancel culture. What an interesting term. When, when I was prepping for this message, it's kind of crazy because there are like 18 different definitions of cancel culture. And you gotta be careful if you share the, the wrong one, you might get canceled, right? Like, it's just kind of interesting. We're so sensitive. There are so many words that are hot button words and they change on a dime. So let me just say this because of that. Some of us see cancel culture as social justice. It's fighting for the oppressed and it's making sure wrongs are being made right. And can we all agree that it's a good thing that Harvey Weinstein is where he is and he's put away and he's not doing what he was doing to people before? That we're not perpetuating the cycle? Like I think canceling him was probably a good idea. And so that's the one side and I think that's admirable and I think call it what you want, that's probably good in the eyes of God. He cares about the marginalized. He cares about the people who are oppressed and broken and, and downtrodden. That's a theme in the Bible. But let's talk about the other side of the coin. I think cancel culture can also be a shaming thing. It can be comparing your worst to my best. And here's how we can know if we are participating in cancel culture. It's when I become the judge, the jury, and the executioner. That's when I can probably know I have, I have stepped into a territory that is not healthy. It's not where I need to be. So I wanna just give you a confession today in the house of God. I hope we could all be honest about this. I don't like this about myself. It's not my favorite thing about me. But let me just confess, I like seeing other people fail. I, I tend to point out the worst in other people. Can I tell you why? Because at the heart of the issue, what it does is it takes the focus off of me. I love exposing the sins of other people, my peers, people I don't even know. I have hot takes and opinions about them. The part of me that's least like God, my flesh. Oh, I love a juicy story. I love that juicy clickbait. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I want you to think about this. Kool-Aid tastes good going down. What makes, if you're like an OG Kool-Aid drinker, you grew up on this stuff, raise your hand. If that's you, put it in the comments. Give me a gif with the guy breaking through the wall. I don't know. What does every great cup of Kool-Aid require? Sugar. About 16 cups of it per pitcher, right? Like, can never have too much sugar. Yeah, it, it tastes good going down. Oh, did you hear about, did you hear about what that pastor did? Did you, see, did you see that that couple, they're getting a divorce? I can't even believe they lasted that long. <laughs> Sips tea, you know? When, when you look at just even this whole subculture within Christianity, I call them heresy hunters, and they are entire YouTube channels, Instagram accounts, and they are dedicated to exposing other believers and Christian leaders. And you see these thumbnails, and it is clickbait at its finest. Ten reasons why I left this church. And it's a very famous pastor on the thumbnail. Three reasons why I'll never listen to this church's worship again. Ten reasons why this pastor is a heretic. And I just wonder if some of us are drinking the Kool-Aid of cancel culture, the Kool-Aid of call-out culture. And I think what God is trying to expose in us is that, hey, there is a better way. There is a better way. 
Maybe if we could be more concerned about exposing people to the goodness of God than exposing people in their sin, more people would come into the kingdom of God. What a novel idea. Yeah, we can give it up for that. I was talking with my friend Jeff, and he's a pastor in Southern Ohio. We were talking about this very thing. And he said, you know what? I have just determined that if I'm gonna err on one side or the other, I'm gonna err on the side of looking more like Jesus than looking like a Pharisee. I said, man, that's a good, that's a good way to look at it. Here, here's, here's how I wanna say it. Cancel culture is all about what I'm against, but kingdom culture is all about what I'm for. This is why I'm excited about next weekend we have the March for Jesus. I think the reason that so many people can get behind this and the reason it gains so much traction is because it's not built on what we're against. It's not the march against the world. It's not the march against sin. It's not the march against darkness. It's the march for Jesus. Because Christians ought to be known more for what they are for than what they are against. And I want you to think about this. Jesus is no stranger to cancel culture. There were people that were trying to cancel Jesus throughout his entire ministry. And they might not have called it cancel culture, but it was very present. In the time that he entered the world, it was turbulent. There were all these different dynamics. Remember that the Jewish culture, they were taken over by the Roman Empire. And so that had its own challenges. There were these rifts within the Jewish community about how you should respond to that. So there were zealots that said, we should take the kingdom of God back by force. That's why they thought Jesus came on the scene. They were looking for a conquering king that was gonna set up his kingdom right then and there. Then you have the Pharisees and the Sadducees and they're caught up in the law and all the meticulous nature of what you should do and what you shouldn't do. Then you have the Essenes. In the Essenes, they were off the scene. They didn't want anything to do with, with being around the world. So they went and lived in the wilderness. They were kind of the separatists of that day. Does this ring any bells? Does this sound kind of like the year 2021? <laughs> like nothing has changed. There's nothing new under the sun. These are the challenges that Jesus was plopped into. And I just want you to see how differently Jesus dealt with cancel culture because the religious people would come to him and say, you need to do this. And then there were the people in the government that would say, you need to do this. And then Jesus would find the other way. He would find the Jesus way. Now I want you to think about this. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious people, they believed what they believed because they had never heard anything else. And so hindsight being 2020, we could say, man, they were really harsh and horrible people. But I don't know if any of us would have seen the world any differently had we grown up in their circumstance. I'll give you a great example. Let's just talk about one issue. This was an issue where they wanted to cancel two women that are documented in the Bible. And so let's take a look at the Old Testament and compare it to the New. In the Old Testament, in Numbers chapter five, you can see an example. It's kind of obscure. You probably didn't learn about this on the felt board in Sunday school, but it's in the Bible. It's called a jealousy offering. And a jealousy offering would happen when a husband suspected that his wife had been unfaithful to him. And so he would bring that accusation to the priest. The priest would take dust or dirt from the temple floor. He would mix it in with water. They would have the woman who was accused drink the water. And if the woman was made sick, then they knew that she had committed adultery and she would never bear children again. If she wasn't sick, then they knew that she wasn't lying. 
And so it was one of the most shaming things that could ever happen to a person. Their life was never the same. They were essentially canceled in Old Testament culture. Now, it's fascinating. When you look at the New Testament, Jesus deals with two women from the same exact camp, two women that have the same exact issue, immorality, infidelity. And it's crazy because he uses water and dust not to condemn them, but to free them, not to cancel them, but to give them a hope and a future. Think about the first one. He meets the woman who has been caught in the act of adultery. And they're saying, cancel her. We're gonna actually take her life. And and by Jewish law, they were rightful to do that. But Jesus says, no, he who is without sin cast the first stone and he stoops down into the dust, into the dirt, and he writes in the dust. No one knows what he writes, but they used the dust to condemn her. He used the dust to denounce her of her sin, to free her and give her a future. How about water? Jesus encounters this woman who's at the well. And she is a loose woman. That's what the Bible says. She was not the model of holiness and purity. She had had a lot of relationships. She was actually living with a guy that she wasn't married to. And Jesus perceives all of this. And she's trying to say, hey, here's a cup of water. And Jesus says, I have a better kind of water. Because you're trying to fill up on relationships and you're trying to fill up on all these things that you think will satisfy you. But I'm the living water and you'll never be thirsty again if you come to me. And he ends the conversation by saying, go and sin no more. So he covers that part. But can you see the difference? There's a big difference in the way that Jesus would speak to us. Here's here's how I wrote it. In the Old Testament, your sin is exposed. But in the New Testament, your sin is expunged. It's wiped away. The record isn't held against you. You're given a clean slate. I don't know about you, but at every campus, I'm thankful for what God has done. Can we give it up for him that he has a new covenant, that we're not judged based on what we've done. We're judged based on what Jesus has done for us. And he doesn't cancel our future, but he does cancel our sin. He does. I love what Jeff Brody says. He says, culture shames you for your sin and cancels your future. Jesus cancels your sin and frees your future. So I want to end here in just a moment, and I want to pray with you. And you might find yourself on one side of the aisle or the other, Maybe there's a disagreement that you've walked through and you're just not entirely sure how to make it right, but God's dealing with you to make it right. They might even be in this room right now. Maybe there's somebody you're coming to an opposite service of them so you don't have to see them. I don't know. Maybe there's somebody at the last place that you were connected at and there might be some people in this room you were never even supposed to be at BC but you're taking the long way around the mountain. You're circling around and around because you haven't navigated through a disagreement. I'm just telling you, I'd rather you be right with that person, right where God wants you, than you to be at BC out of God's will. Then I have a suspicion that there's a lot of us somewhere in between. We really love God and we love people. And maybe you're like me and you're a justice guy. And I just want people to be held accountable. And I can lean a little bit more towards the side of cancel culture and exposing people's sin and pointing to the problems in their life. And maybe it's just a hard adjustment and just saying, I just want to point to Jesus. Instead of pointing to the problem, I want to point to the person of Jesus because he's the one that's going to change their heart anyway. I love this scripture. This is the final one I'll read. It's Romans 14, 10. If you are a justice person and you're like, man, but someone needs to hold them accountable. Here's a scripture that really helps me. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? 
or you? Why, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of you, each of us will give an account of himself to God. And I think it's so powerful to know that I am not gonna answer when I stand on judgment day for the sins of others. I'm not gonna give an account for you. You're not gonna give an account for me. I will answer for what I did with what God asked me. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes at every campus, online. Let's just have a moment where we can connect with God and just invite him to do some heart surgery. I pray that this week, every week would be helpful to you. Please invite people that you think would benefit from this. One thing you're not gonna hear us do is rage against the culture around us. We wanna reach them. We will speak truth, we will not compromise it, but we will do it with grace and love. I hope, I hope today this helped you. I love how that verse made this statement. It said, one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Every knee. The people that don't believe there's a God, the people that are running from God, everyone one day will bow before Jesus. Our goal is to get as many people to bow their knee to Jesus on this side of eternity. And Jesus came onto the scene and in a world that would point to all kinds of problems in people's lives and try to tell them the way that you atone for your sin is by having your good works outweigh your bad, by getting God on your good side. Jesus said, no, you could never fully pay the price for your sin. You could work the rest of your life and never earn it. So I'm gonna give it to you as a free gift. You don't earn it, I'm gonna pay the price for your sin. And so he took our place, he took your place and mine on the cross that really belonged to us because the price of sin is death. And he said, I'm gonna take that punishment for them. And now he just openly invites us. He says, hey, all you have to do is believe in your heart, say with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and there's a change that takes place. And you won't be perfect, you, you really won't. But every day you will look a little bit more like Jesus if you get into his word, get into a great church and decide I'm gonna follow him. So if that's you, I just wanna invite you to pray this prayer. It's not a magic prayer, but there is something miraculous that does happen when we pray this prayer. There are hundreds of people that have already prayed it. They're gonna help you pray it. But if that's you online in this room at BC Boardman at TCI, can you repeat this after me? We'll say this together. Dear God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he took my place. He paid for the sin. He took my penalty. And right now, Jesus, I call you Savior. I call you Lord. Come into my life. I put you in the driver's seat. You're calling the shots. I am a Christian. In Jesus' name, amen. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc slash give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc 
or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren, and you can get the service times and plan your visit at believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast. Thank you.